Welcome to the Intentional Family Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Schmitz, joined by my favorite co-host, Mike Schmitz. You are your favorite. Nice. <laughs> you are my only currently, but you are That's my favorite. True. Even if I have <laughs> other hosts at some point. <laughs> That's an interesting idea. Maybe we will have to have some guest episodes. Yes. I can think of a lot of people that would be excellent to interview on this podcast, actually. That would be pretty fun. Yes. So I wanted to mention that t-shirts and sweatshirts are still available on Cotton Bureau. We'll have the link in the show notes. But today we're talking about deliberate practice in doing hard things. The dictionary definition from Oxford that I found for practice that I really like is repeated exercise in or performance of an activity or skill so as to acquire or maintain proficiency in it. And deliberate, I thought this was good too, done consciously or intentionally, whoa, Mm -hmm. (laughs) imagine that careful and unhurried, fully considered, not impulsive. Mike, how would you define (laughs) deliberate practice in a sentence? Or more than a sentence is fine too. Well, this is kind of interesting because I have also written a, a book which needs to be updated with my definition of hustle, which I feel is very similar to this. And when I break down that definition of hustle, the the dictionary definition there is to force to move hurriedly or unceremoniously in a specified direction. And I break it down into three components, which I think definitely apply to deliberate practice too, where you have the work, which is the actual effort that you put in. And that's what people see. That's what what people tend to lift up and... I guess the term would be glorify. Like, this is what you should do on social media. Like, can't wait for you to see my new thing. Working 20 hours a day on this hashtag hustle. You know, that's what, that's what people think of. But there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, with the hustle definition, you've also got the unceremoniously. So it's kind of like people don't, it doesn't matter if people see you or the effort that you're putting in, which is why that whole social media thing about hashtag hustle is kind of garbage. Because Really, it's you doing a thing, whether or not anybody ever notices that you do it, because you want to get to a specific place. That's the third part is the the vision, like where you want to end up, the destination. And I kind of view it as like getting in a car and going on a trip. You can't just get in the car and drive. I mean, you can if you're just going to take a random road trip or whatever. But most of the time when you take a trip, you have a destination in mind and you have thought through the route that you are going to take to get there. And then once you know where you are going and how you're going to get there, do you get in the car and you drive? And I feel like that is kind of what deliberate practice is all about. It is deciding where you want to end up and then figuring out the thing that you are going to improve, which is going to get you one step closer to that destination. Yeah. And unpacking the word practice, I feel like is really powerful because it sounds so simple, like, well, just practice. Mm Mm-hmm. But breaking it down into what it actually means, it's more than just a seemingly boring activity that you do repeatedly. It is very, very powerful. And it's the goal is to gain proficiency in it, in whatever you're practicing in. You can think of, well, sports, for example. Sports, it's interesting because practices are much more valuable than the game day. Yep. It's true. The game day is simply a reflection of what the work has been put in with all those hours of practice. Yep. 
I forget which boxer it was, but one of those really famous ones said that champions aren't made under the the bright lights. They're simply recognized there. It's what you do in the early morning hours, all the prep, all the work that you put in that gets you there. And that kind of leads me to another thing, which I think we need to unpack here, because in uh, the types of books that I read anyways, there's this common idea of like the 10,000 hour rule. Are you familiar with this? Yeah. Okay. So this was made popular by Malcolm Gladwell in the book Outliers. And this research is cited all over the place where 10,000 hours is basically the I, the level you have to put in, the amount of effort you have to put in, in order to be considered an expert in something. And the study kind of was traced back to people who were studying violin, I believe. And uh, I think that this is a little bit dangerous. So first of all, as it pertains to deliberate practice, you can practice 10,000 hours doesn't mean you're any better than you were when you started if you are not being intentional about the practice. But the second thing here, which I'm really kind of synthesizing this at the moment, because I'm also reading a book called How to Be Everything by Emily Wapnick, which is about multi-potentialites, people who have trouble saying this is the one thing that I do and building a career out of it. Such a millennial word. It is. Kind of makes me laugh when I hear it. But I think it's, I think there's some truth to this. And her point is that if you picked one thing and put 10,000 hours into it, yeah, you would have a high degree of skill in that thing. But if you picked four things and put 2,500 hours of practice into those four things, you may actually be better off because skill isn't the only thing that matters. And there's different pieces to it, like creativity and passion, which is a whole nother discussion on what that really means. But uh, meaning and all of that stuff, like that's part of the picture. So you can't just say based on your proficiency in a specific thing there, now I have arrived, (laughs) which is kind of the picture I think that you can get when you look at that 10,000 hour rule at a glance. So I guess what I'm saying is chuck the ideal of getting to expert level in something and just focus on what is the next step to get better. Yeah. If we focus on just having maximum proficiency, then that can actually be pretty crippling. Yep. Because that's such a big lofty goal. Some, something somewhere out there someday. I I think of photography. So I've been a photographer for a long time, professional photographer, which really just means you get paid for it, right? (laughs) It doesn't mean I'm any better than an amateur uh, photographing things necessarily. But it means I have found a market that will pay for my services. But I could use that 10,000 hour rule and be like, well, I've definitely put in well over 10,000 hours of photography practice over the last, what, how many years have we been out of college? A long time, probably 15. Don't count them. Okay. (laughs) A long time, people. And I could be practicing, sorry if this gets too technical, I guess, but I could be practicing on full auto mode on my DSLR all the time. But that doesn't really make me proficient in my craft because if anything happens that I need to control the lighting better, I wouldn't know how to use the manual settings. So I just want to point that out that there's a difference in types of practice. So for me, I use mostly only manual mode. And what that has done, it has trained my eye to watch 
and I look at the histogram and all this stuff to make sure I'm getting a proper exposure and I can dial in all the different settings. So there's just a very different way to look at that too. Like I could just plunk on the piano and do my scales really quick. But if I stop there and don't say, oh, I need to improve how I do it and things like that. I don't know. It's just something to think about, a, a deeper level of looking at practice. And let's unpack the photographer example for a minute, because what is your goal with photography? Is it to become a quote unquote professional and do all of the things that that you have done? If so, great. Figure out the histogram, put it on manual mode. But if you just want to take better pictures of your kids, go ahead and use the autofocus. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So really, like the goal kind of determines the level of proficiency that you need. So, and this is kind of where comparison comes in too, because you can compare yourself, and I do this all the time. I'm terrible at this. Compare yourself and where you are at in your journey to somebody who is further along and get discouraged because, oh man, they are so good at this thing that I wish I was better at. Comparison will paralyze you. So don't even go there. Just take an honest look at your skills and abilities. This is where deliberate practice, you know, bring this all back. This is where this comes in. You look at what you want to get better at. What is one thing you can do right now which will help you get closer to taking better pictures of your kids or playing your favorite song on the piano or whatever it is? You don't have to understand all of the theory and master all the all the modes and be able to play the, the classical pieces if your goal for playing the piano is to be able to play a couple of worship songs and sing along with them. And enjoy the process, enjoy creating and exactly. um, so creating figure, music. So figure out what you want to do with these skills that you're trying to develop. I would say always be trying to develop something. We're going to get into that in a minute yeah. here about doing hard things because that process, that's the really valuable thing, is challenging yourself to go outside your comfort zone because that's where the growth happens. Yes. And... I guess one thing to keep in mind, too, is just everything that we do today is basically basically casting a vote for who we want to be tomorrow. So not to overlook the little things, but not to over-exaggerate things either. It's just being intentional about what we do day in and day out because that will produce a harvest, good or bad. Yep. So if I want to get healthier, then today I want to make choices and be deliberate about practicing healthy habits, getting in fresh fruit and veggies and whole grains, etc. I want to be exercising my body. But if I don't deliberately practice that, then down the road going long enough, there will be a harvest and I probably won't like it. Yep. So that vision piece that you mentioned is very important because if we don't have a vision in mind, we will perish, right? Hosea 4, 6 actually said, without a vision, people perish. perish. So (laughs) we all need to have a vision down the road. We can't be so short-sighted that we're not looking further down. Yeah, and you can't can't look to the, you can't jump to the end either though. I I think that's a mistake I tend to make is begin with the end in mind, right? And then you work backwards, which sounds great, except that you can do that and you can identify your step-by-step plan for the next five years and where you're going to end up. And as Mike Tyson says, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Well, we all got punched in the face in March when everything got shut down. It's true. And we're still, I feel like, trying to figure out what is normal going to be. And so... What is normal? Yeah. <laughs> what are cows? <laughs> <laughs> 
who am I? <laughs> uh, but the uh, the thing here is that you uh, you do have to uh, you have to have to develop some flexibility and you have to be able to roll with things. And so goals, I think those this is where I want to end up. It's good to have a general idea to know like the direction that you want to go. Like if you're looking at a compass, north, south, east, west, you want to make sure you're not going in the wrong direction. But don't get so attached to those things and get upset if you don't reach that goal by the time that you get there. We've talked a lot on this podcast about habits and how those are better anyways. So yeah, determine your direction and then figure out what the next thing to do is. And then after you do that thing, ask again, what is the next thing, the next best thing to do right here? And figure it out that way, just one step at a time. And I feel like if you take that approach, you're much less likely to get bent out of shape when uh, it becomes clear that you are not going to be able to stick to your phenomenal, complicated plan that you spent, that you went up to the mountain and and brought down in the stone tablets. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I have definitely um, caught myself stumbling often when I get too far out there and I have this ideal of what I want to be or I want this thing to happen this way. But once I started learning more about habits and what I can do daily, that totally transformed everything. And it was more so also just changing my identity. Well, if I want to be this type of person, then these these are the things I need to do every day. And that's so simple because it's like, well, I can do that one thing to basically say this is the kind of person I am. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you can do that with any specific area. We're going to talk about some of those in a minute here. But I would argue the one general one you should decide to, this is who I want to be, no matter how you apply it, is I'm going to become a lifelong learner. Yeah. And challenge yourself to learn new things and to get outside what you already know to do. It's comfortable there. You can establish routines there, but you won't really grow there. It's very easy to just get in the routine of practice without the deliberate piece if you just keep doing the same things over and over and over again. Yeah. Reading is a big part of that. I found myself as I made strides, this was a few years back, I was realizing I really wanted to read a lot more, but found myself, um, the times I had to read, like the afternoons when the little ones are sleeping, I was trying to get caught up on the house and laundry and different things, trying to work. And then in the evening, I was so tired, I didn't want to read. But recognizing a few things, if I cut out social media, that would give me a chunk of time to read. Mm -hmm. And so I cut off social media, I deleted it all off of my phone, and I read 24 books that year. (laughs) With I believe that was a few years back, and it was actually... The year that Ad- the year after Adelaide was born, so that would be 2018. So she was <laughs> five months old, and I decided I really want to read. And if I cut out social media, that chunk of time I would spend there, I easily found time every night, 30 minutes or so, where I would read. And I was amazed at how many books I got through, and it made such an impact. I have actually a list. I have an Apple note where I keep track of all the books I've read and it's really fun to look at and to add books to. And it just totally changed my course because it added so much to my life. Yep. I am also a big fan of reading books, obviously. (laughs) Uh, One thing I would challenge people 
too, though, especially when you start reading, it's tempting to just grab a book, newest bestseller or somebody, something you hear somebody talk about. And you're like, oh, that sounds interesting. And you read it. And that's kind of, in my opinion, level one when it comes to establishing a reading habit. That's great if you don't have a reading habit already, because the fact that you start creating that habit, you have a steady inflow of new ideas. But I would challenge people not just to go for the familiar or the comfortable books and to challenge yourself and to read the ones that you don't want to read or you know you're going to disagree with (laughs) because it forces you to consider things from the other person's point of view. For Bookworm recently, we read Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, who who was the FBI's lead hostage negotiator. And he made a point in there, you know, this kind of this advice that you, you don't negotiate with terrorists. Well, that was his job, was to negotiate with terrorists. And he said the thing to do that allowed him to do it effectively was not just to give in to, to what they want. In fact, he talks about all of the little things and the tactics you can do to get people to agree with, with you and to get what you want. But there was one phrase in there where he said, he explained the difference between empathy and sympathy, where empathy is understanding the other side. Sympathy is agreeing with the other side. You can be empathetic without being sympathetic. And I, f- I feel like when it comes to reading, sometimes people think like they're going to get brainwashed if they start to read something that's contradictory to something that they know or they believe. Uh, but actually, in my, my opinion, I've seen it myself that a lot of times that stuff just kind of galvanizes or crystallizes the stuff that you really do believe. It makes your beliefs even stronger because you've kind of tested them now. And uh, I, th- I think like that's, that's what deliberate practice is all about is looking for the things that are going to challenge you and they're going to be uncomfortable and you don't naturally want to do them, you know? And for some people, like I said, when you're just starting off, like that is just establishing a reading habit. But once you've got one established, continue to look for the hard mode in whatever you're trying to do to push yourself. Yes. And I would say, be careful. Don't apply that to your children that you should like, oh, I want to have them read this book that it contradicts our belief system. Correct. correct. So just to, just to clarify that really quick too, that um, if you have a belief system and you're raising your children in a certain way, then it's really important to build a firm foundation. But once they become more deciders and thinkers, as the parent, you can you can incorporate some more contradictory type of material to emphasize to them the difference so that they're not hearing it from the first time from someone else. Yeah, we're not trying to raise porcelain children who are perfect in our homes and then when they get out into the real world and they encounter... We haven't done our job if we do that. Exactly. Like, we want to prepare them for the real world. And if you are going to prepare them for the real world, they have to know some of this other stuff. You don't have to share all the nitty-gritty details. And I should also clarify here that, like... Uh, you're not feeding on this stuff. Right. Yes. You know, what you feed grows stronger. Yep. And so the number one book that I read every single morning <laughs> and usually even throughout the day is the Bible. Yep. And so that is going to be the message that I get the most. But that doesn't mean I'm going to shy away from contrary opinions from other people and what they are, what they are. I'm not going to be afraid of those things. I'm not going to be afraid of being swayed by 
an alternate religion because I read something of, of theirs. I want to understand how they think. Usually that's where I can point out where I disagree with stuff and understand my own faith a little bit more when I think about it that way. But I think it's valuable, not even in the terms of faith, but just like all the stuff that's going on in the world. Uh, this really isn't the topic of this particular episode, but all of the racial stuff that's going on and the injustice and things like that, we have to understand how other people think like that's basic empathy. You know, if we, if we can't get to that level, we can never have the conversation. And if we never have the conversation, we can never learn and grow. Right. And actually it makes me think of Jesus. His perfect example in the account we have in scripture is that he talked to all sorts of people and it was the religious people of the day who couldn't believe he was talking to horrible sinners and tax collectors and people that weren't Jewish at that time. Mm-hmm. And I believe that is a very good example for us. We, That's not who he hung around with all the time, though. No. He hung around, he had his close group. Yes, which was, we should have. Yeah, but, but that's, he wasn't afraid to yes, be in those places. Right, right. And it's, it is really important. And with the whole racial, racial thing, I'll touch on that we have talked to the kids about these things and in such a way that they can understand at their different ages. And they kind of look at you like, why would people even think differently of others because of a skin <laughs> color or because they're different? And they're young and innocent and they don't understand some of the hurt that people have in this world. But to an innocent child, they can't even wrap their head around thinking differently about someone because of their skin color. Yep. Yeah, exactly. But I'm not sure how we we kind of got down a little rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> well, but understanding different ideas. Yes. And I think you have to have that tinkerer's mindset, that explorer's mindset if you're going to effectively practice. Yeah, and we can't be afraid of what's unfamiliar. That ties into because if we're afraid of the unfamiliar, we're not going to keep deliberately practicing and pushing ourselves because that's too scary because we're not sure where that's going to lead us. Exactly. I'll just share a personal story myself. I grew up playing violin and I was classically trained. So I had a very good ear for music. I could sight read, you know, very complicated classical pieces. I was in high school and playing with symphonies and orchestras but I could not sit down with my friends that I met at high school and they're like, okay, let's jam. I'm, I'm like, well, where's the sheet music? <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, I remember the first time I did that, like being paralyzed by fear of not knowing what to play. And I remember walking away from that first one, like I am never going to do that again. That's basically what I do now on the worship team yeah. is improvise. And, uh, it's what I, it's the kind of music that I like to play. However, I never would have gotten there if I had not forced myself to over and over again, put myself in that uncomfortable situation where in the moment, every fiber of your being is screaming, I don't want to be here. <laughs> I remember seeing your countenance during these times. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was uncomfortable. Toastmasters is another example. Oh, yeah. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. It's all of these things very good. that have, led me to the point where I am now and helped me develop skills, which now I look at it and I'm like, oh man, this is the thing that makes me come alive. I never would have got there if I would have, whenever I felt a little bit uncomfortable, just shied away from those things and went back to what I knew. Yeah. And 
we can do that. We can choose the hard things and keep going with it. So on the note of deliberate practice, there's a thing we call the hard things rule. And we stole this. I yes. got to give credit to Absolutely. Angela Duckworth, I believe, in the book Grit. She came up with this, but we've applied this for our family, and it needs to be updated, I think. We were talking about this the other day, which is kind of where the idea for this episode came from. We need to refresh our hard things. Yes, and we practice hard things, Mike and I, in the past, and we have been able to encourage our children as well, which has been really helpful since we homeschool them to apply this because as they get older, you know, some of their subject areas are more challenging for them. And for us, I will just say that my heart thing right now, I guess, if I pick the top one was learning Latin, or I should say is learning Latin because that's what I'm currently (laughs) doing with my oldest son, Toby, who's in seventh grade. It's part of his classical seventh grade curriculum that we're doing. We are part of classical conversations and he's new to Latin and I don't want to just hand him the books and say, here you go. I want to do the easy thing to do. (laughs) I'm doing it with him because he's going to be doing this all through middle school and high school. And I want to be able to keep up with him and also have a better base of knowledge for the four younger ones than him coming up. So I can really have a grasp on this and it's not easy at all. It's actually very challenging. So we sit down an hour a day, four times a week and do Latin together. And I would argue the biggest value in doing this is you showing him that this doesn't go away when you get older. Yeah. It's you not, don't get a get out of jail free card. Yeah. It's not like, well, you have to do this because school, but I don't have to because I'm the adult and I've put in my time already. Yeah. Here's and, your books. Go do it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're you're embracing the challenge alongside him and I feel like that's a great example for him. And I don't know if you know this, but actually in our school program, I I tutor fourth and fifth graders. I have all boys this year, but we actually are called lead learners. I don't Mm -hmm. think I've told you that before, but... (laughs) I had heard that term before. Yeah. yeah. So we are lead learners in the classroom and we are modeling for the parents in our class how to teach these concepts at home. That's awesome. Yeah. I think the real value in it, though, is not the title, not whether everybody else is doing it or not. Well, kind of, I guess, like... What I'm trying to say is that I think the real value is you showing him that you are voluntarily embracing the challenge. It's not something that you really have to do per se, but you're not shying away from it either. I think it's easy to develop a mindset where, well, yeah, when I'm asked to do something, I'll do it. But when my feet aren't held to the fire, then I'm not going to. It's been really good because... This curriculum this year is a lot of it is very different and, and new for him. And this is definitely the hardest of the six subject areas. So it, I know it means a lot to him that I sit and do it with him. Yep. Uh, also, speaking of languages, I've been practicing Spanish on Duolingo. I have a 168 <laughs> day streak now. Good job. Mike surpassed a year. I'm at 398 as we record this. Very nice. And that was something, we've talked about this on the podcast before, so I won't get into a whole lot of detail. But uh, I took Spanish in high school and learned absolutely nothing. 
I had trouble rolling my R's and just decided that I couldn't do it. And I held that belief up until, well, last July, we went on a mission trip to Costa Rica. Didn't know any Spanish then. I remember getting down there and being paralyzed because I couldn't communicate with anybody. <laughs> had to have a translator with me everywhere that I went. And uh, when we got back, it wasn't even while we were down there, but after we got back, I'm like, you know, next time I go, I'm going to be able to talk to these people. <laughs> so I picked up Duolingo and have been doing it every day since then. So that when that was initially a hard thing, and I feel like I've got more more progress to be made there, but at this point now, it's pretty much a habit. So I'm looking for the next hard thing, which I've got a few ideas. We were talking about it earlier. Yeah. So did you want to share that now or you want to wait? I can. Uh, this is, again, <laughs> I think really embodies this hard thing rule because I have gotten comfortable with my skill set as a musician and doing the things that I do as part of the worship team at church. I have developed certain skills and I've kind of plateaued in a sense. Uh, I do practice, but it's not, if I'm honest with myself, the type of deliberate practice that uh, that I, I know I need to do to really develop that skill. And seeing the boys with their piano lessons and they kind of switched from, we were doing stuff at Hyde to working with a missionary that we were down in Costa Rica with and she's getting them to do their scales and just seeing like how they've taken off doing that. It's kind of like, well, when are you going to get serious about <laughs> playing guitar? <laughs> So literally today I was talking to you about, you know, I think I'm going to sign up for guitar lessons. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> Which is kind of interesting because at the moment I'm not even playing on the worship team at church. We're doing the outside stuff and I'm the guy who is with the mask and the temperature checker when you go in to <laughs> use the bathroom. <laughs> so in one sense, it's kind of like, well, why would you do that now? Because you're not even getting a chance to play. Yeah, but you think bigger than that. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. It's not always going to be like this. And it's not to perform either. Exactly. Yep. It's because you enjoy it and you want to get better at and it. And that's the thing you can fall into if you're not careful. Even though it's ministry and we all know that ultimately we're there to, to worship God, not to put on a performance. Like we would, every single person on the worship team would confess that. But sometimes our actions don't, <laughs> don't well, back that up. Yeah. It's easy to fall into that as a default if you're not intentional and deliberately practicing. Well, anyone can get, um, I want to use the word lazy in what we do, yes. in any job even. Mm -hmm. And I believe that we're supposed to be excellent in every way. Now, that's a high standard, but I wouldn't want to live by anything but high standards. And not saying I always live up to that, but if I don't aim high... I'm going to hit way lower than I would have if I didn't aim high. You know what I'm saying? Does that yep. make sense? Yep. And this is not the same as like aim for the moon. If you miss, you land amongst the stars. No. Like I hate that saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but without striving for any sort of excellence, you don't really know what you're capable of. Yep. That's the thing I have discovered through a lot of the things that have made me uncomfortable is they have pushed me to a place I never thought I would be able to get to myself. Once I get there, I'm like, wow, this is pretty awesome. And it doesn't mean that once you get there, you've arrived and you settle down. That's the other thing I think with goals is that people think like, well, once I achieve this goal, then things will change and it'll be easier. Whether it, that goal... will just be another level. Exactly. Exactly. There's always another level. Uh, 
you will never fully arrive as long as you are here on this earth. You, there will always be something more for you to do, another level for you to get to, greater impact for you to have. That's yeah. just the nature of the system that we're in. But that's great news because that le- levels the playing field for everyone involved. So yep. you could look at someone and think they're super gifted in a way that you want to be gifted in. Well, no one has arrived and it's, it is a level playing field. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've put in way more deliberate practice in that area. Well, that's just a way for me to apply that practice in my own life. Yep. And deliberate practice is not practicing to the point where you absolutely never make a mistake. It's just trying to get better, putting in the reps so you can do it better than you did last time. You know, you're talking about how people will compare and say, well, this person is really talented at this thing. I could never do that sort of thing. It's not exactly how you said it, but that's kind of where my brain went when you said it. And that reminded me a lot of my sketch notes and stuff, which I've started sharing on my website. I reluctantly, I will say, I didn't ever think anybody would be interested in those, but turns out people are. Uh, I don't consider myself an artist. I still think, you know, if you were to ask me, can you draw or can't you? I'd say no. But it's kind of shocking to me when people look at my sketch notes and like, oh, wow, those are really good. How'd you get that good? Because if you look at the first one that I did. (laughs) Stick man. (laughs) A stick man and a bunch of words. (laughs) It was awful. Like you, okay, put yourself in the shoes of somebody who absolutely cannot draw, force them to try to draw and then bring it back. Like your expectations in your head, dial it back like 10 notches and you'll get what I actually produced. It's really, really bad. It's like, did you even try? (laughs) Well, and actually that, that reminds me of my art class last Tuesday. We are, start off with teaching the basics of drawing and we use a few different ways of doing that but I got my whole class to admit that anyone can learn to draw even the ones I know do not like it and they even said but I don't want to be good at drawing and I said that's fine but I wanted you to at least admit that anyone who really tries and get uh, practices they can learn to draw Yes, exactly, exactly. You can decide that this is not your thing and you That's don't want fine. to put that We can't be good at everything. In. Exactly. But don't subscribe to the belief that I can't do this thing. You can. If you put in the effort and you apply deliberate practice, you can develop the skills to develop proficiency in that thing. Maybe you will never be a master or an expert like the people who have sunk 10,000 hours into it. doesn't matter. You know, for me, I'm not trying to become a great artist. In fact, that's one of the things that was kind of freeing about sketch notes is Mike Rohde, the the guy who came up with it, I got to talk to him with the Focus podcast. And one of his big ideas is that it's ideas, not art. So don't worry about what it looks like. (laughs) You're just capturing the idea so you don't forget about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, And a few other examples we can talk about, maybe from our family, from our past hard things that we've done or are currently doing. I would say another one would be my son, Jonathan, who he, with school, he's kind of like, why? And so that has been the ever going struggle because I always loved school. So him and I kind of butt heads where I'm like, why don't you like this? You Mm -hmm. should like this. I like this. (laughs) (laughs) And he used to say, I can't read, which was not true because when he actually put in the effort, he could read. 
Yep, so, but he convinced himself for a while he couldn't. Yes, so I helped him deliberately practice. We practiced reading every day, and I had him change his confession Yep, that I am a reader. I can read. I said, you can't say I can't read anymore because you can. So that's exactly. not true. You are a reader. You can read. And he was casting a vote for who yep. he is. I can read. I am a reader. Yeah, and think about that. That's pretty powerful, even for... Um, at the time, yep. what, six-year-old, mm-hmm. seven-year-old, yep. and whenever this process started, like to go from casting a vote every day saying, I can't read, to I can read. Yes. And then you cast enough votes, the James Clear idea, eventually you win the election in your mind. And that's that's a really big deal because you start to identify with the person who does that thing. And then it's easy to show up and do the thing because what does a reader do? They read. What does a writer do? They write. What does a runner do? They run. <laughs> and with if you have a child that that is a personality where they're not real driven and they're really laid back, the worst thing I found that I have done is really push him mm. in the wrong way. Uh, what really transformed him was helping him change his identity and how he saw himself. Yep. Because otherwise he was very comfortable in the I can't read mode. But also I could see over time he it kind of changed. Like he felt bad about it because he's like, I should be able to read. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to help him. And if I went full bore and said, no, you need to do this. He's the kind of kid that's like would tuck away in his little turtle shell and not come out. You'd have to like coax him back out. Yep. So I would just know your children, know their personality and work that to your advantage to really help them. Yep, exactly. Um, Another area I'll touch on quick, if you've ever had to potty train a child, you will know that deliberate practice in that area (laughs) is very important. I've had the whole host of spectrum with five kids and how they've potty trained. I've had one that did it basically almost overnight and never had an accident and was even dry at night. You know, I've had the total opposite end of the spectrum too, where they're like, I just don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, you should want to do this (laughs) because you're three. So um, anything worth doing is worth doing regularly, right? Worth doing well. Exactly which is going to take effort. It's not going to be easy. And that's why one of the most important mindset shifts that you can make in your entire life is to go from a fixed mindset where you believe I have certain talents and abilities. I have to discover them, but they're there and they're there whether I realize them or not. And when I find them, everything gets easy. That is a myth. It does not get easy. (laughs) Uh, So switching from that, the fixed mindset to a growth mindset where the obstacle in front of me is the way to mastery. The challenge that I am facing, that is part of the growth process. And so I'm going to go through this and I'm not going to just relish the the challenge or the trial in, in front of me. I'm going to look for a way to solve it, but I'm going to constantly be looking for that thing that I need, the, the aha moment where, okay, now I get it and I start to see a different angle and I see a different solution as opposed to a fixed mindset. It's just like, well, eventually the dam is going to break and everything is just going to flow when I find the thing. That's It's never going to be that easy. Yeah, that's true. And when we deliberately practice um, those hard things that we choose to do, that actually produces endurance, that produces character. Yep. 
And I love what Romans 5, 4 says, patient endurance will refine our character. Improving character leads us back to hope. So Mike, what would you say to those people that are not sure if they should have a hard thing? Why should we each have one hard thing that we're deliberately practicing? Because it stretches you and it forces you outside of your comfort zone, which I know I've said at least a dozen times in this episode, but that really is the main thing. It's like make yourself uncomfortable. It doesn't matter what your hard thing really is. From the matter of deliberate practice, it kind of does, because if you're trying to get better at a specific thing so that you can do something you couldn't do, then deliberate practice is the way that you get there. But in terms of just a general mindset and going back to the growth mindset, I highly recommend people go listen to that episode if they haven't listened to it yet. It's kind of the precursor to this one, in my opinion, where growth mindset is embracing the challenge and then deliberate practice. That's like directing the intention in the way that you want to go. It's identifying your own path forward and you may change your direction. You may change your path a million times throughout your journey. That's completely fine. Just identify what the next step is and go in in that way. So pick one thing, one area where maybe the place to start would be something that you've always kind of wanted to do, but you've never really given it a fair shake. You know that you haven't applied enough effort to really see any sort of results from it and figure out what is something you can do to make yourself a little bit uncomfortable in that area and start making strides in that area. And I think if you've never done this before, once you do that, you'll be pretty excited about the results that you start to see after you've created those habits for a little while. Yeah. And for me, we wanted to get this message out about being intentional as a family and growing your family from the ground up, building a firm foundation. And to do that, we recognize that if we started practicing our public speaking through Toastmasters, that would really help us launch a podcast because I never saw myself doing this. And it was a series of events that led to this and recognizing earlier on in this year that, okay, no, I would join Toastmasters knowing that we want to share this message with people. That was enough motivation for me to overcome the friction of public speaking, writing speeches, why would I do that willingly? (laughs) And I've actually found it to be quite enjoyable. And we, I just did that because I wanted to be able to communicate more clearly and effectively. And it's just been really good. It's been very rewarding. And if we even just help one person or one family, it is so worth it because honestly, sitting here recording across the table from my husband, it's really fun. Like this is actually... One of the highlights of the month for me, the two times we get to record, because I feel like (laughs) the conversations we have are a fruit of the other conversations we have not on air. And they just basically solidify the choices that we're making as a family. And it's been really powerful for us. Don't you think? I do. I hope you keep me as your (laughs) co-host. I think I will. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to ask you today. What is your hard thing? Maybe you have something you're already deliberately practicing, but if you don't, what can you identify to do and start practicing today or tomorrow? Yep, pick something. Yep. How can you cast a vote for the person you want to be? What activity can you help your children identify as an area to deliberately practice? Because I guarantee you, it will only help your life. It will only 
propel you to being the person you want to be and getting where you want to be. Yep. So we want to thank you so much for listening to The Intentional Family. We can be found at intentionalfamily.fm. Until next time, join us in living life intentionally.